if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. No glory without suffering. This is a biblical principle. Our sonship in the Father is established through Jesus, by grace, through faith, in the Son of suffering. And our sonship is characterized by suffering with Him. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Those of you who've been with us for a while, you'll know we've just finished a series about the Sermon on the Mount. And now it, it happens that we can go into Passover, into Easter this weekend. And then after this, we're going to start something new. So from next Sunday, we'll start a new series. I'm still waiting to get the final word, name, all that stuff, but I've got an idea, and um, I'm excited about it. But this weekend, we are focusing on the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing it as a mini-series of two services, and the series is called From Suffering to Glory. From Suffering to Glory. And today we're going to talk about the son of suffering. And, to, and on Sunday, we'll talk about the son of glory. And I want you to hang in there today. Because you might, you might feel during or after today's service like, whoa, this is heavy. This is quite a lot. But don't let your, the way you experience it stop there. Come on Sunday. Because they, they work together, these two messages. And there'll be hints today about what's coming on Sunday. But please, if you are here today, come on Sunday and bring your friends, bring your family. Let it be a great day for people to encounter God. Amen? All right. As I prayed about these services, I kept sensing that the Holy Spirit led me to look at the Passover and where it originated from, when and why was it instituted? Because there's some very significant connection, obviously, between the Passover that God instituted with his people and his own son dying on a cross. And as I studied this week, this, the Passover and how these things are connected, I was just once again blown away by how rich the word of God is. How many of you have read the same passage more than once, twice, three times, and every time you read it with the leading of the Holy Spirit, you go, wow, like, I, that's amazing. <laughs> and and that, is, that is what's so great about the Word of God. It's, it's alive, it's active, it's a double-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow, and it, it's always ready to, to be broken open if you come with an expectant heart, and if you say, Holy Spirit, lead me, He will minister to you, Amen. And I'm trusting that God will do that with all of us today. 
And that's from this that I got these words, from suffering to glory. As I was reading these scriptures, Jesus, as you know, has many names. We have sung that song, I know you by a thousand names, which I really enjoy. And there's many names that he has. And this weekend, we're gonna focus on two of his names, son of suffering, son of glory. And I trust that Holy Spirit will minister to each of us in a profound way to understand Jesus better. How many of you wanna understand, know him better? Amen, come on. And I, I trust that he will reveal to us how we should understand suffering and how we should understand glory as we are on our personal faith journey. Because suffering, you cannot detach it from your faith journey. And I know many of us, and the reason I think God wants us to talk about this today is that even, even though we might not realize it, some of us might be caught up in the world's way of thinking to avoid suffering at any cost, to step away, to not have it in your life, to, to strive towards a treasure of convenience and comfort rather than striving for a treasure in heaven of glory one day. Amen? So let's trust God to break this open for us. This short series of this weekend, I have a scripture for us that I wanna share. It's gonna feature later again, but I wanna read this with you this morning. Romans 8 from verse 14 in the NIV, it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves that you should live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you about your adoption, sorry, brought about your adoption to sonship, to being a child of God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Up until there, really awesome. Yes, I like the scripture, but there's a comma. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order, in order that we may also share in his glory. It's one of, those things I've told you about, there's an if, and then there's a then. Amen? All right, so. I wanna start off today by sharing a personal testimony. Some of you may have heard this before, but it ties in so powerfully with what I'm sharing today, and I, I trust that it will form a part of breaking this open. When our oldest boy was born, and well, when he was a couple of weeks old actually, um, I was a bit of a, a nervous wreck. I tried my hardest, my wife and I both tried to not be typical first time parents. How many of the parents in this house also said that? I'm not gonna be like all the other parents, you know? Like, and, and I tried, I really, really tried. And, but the one thing, in some areas I think we succeeded, but in the one area we did not succeed was that we bought the, the best baby monitoring system money could buy at the time. This thing measured heart rate, breath rate, and obviously you could listen in on the room 
and have a video, all right? The problem was this thing was super sensitive and gave false alarms most of the time. And I was up every five minutes at night, not sleeping much, because I thought my boy stopped breathing or his heart stopped because that thing's saying beep, beep. And I was in a bit of a wreck at the time. But, and around that time, we, we heard of friends of ours whose baby girl, who was three months old, approximately, died in, a, in her crib. She just stopped breathing. So with all this stuff in my head, already worried, already fearful, hearing this story, the enemy had a gap. And I felt the enemy lie to me and say, that will happen to your boy. I thank God, by his grace, by that time, I had been discipled well and have been taught you take every thought captive under the authority of Christ Jesus and even though that thought was intimidating and overwhelming and it seemed so possible I said no I take that thought captive in Jesus name and I said Lord what do you say and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me well Father God spoke to me I really felt and he said to me will you give your son to me Or do you want to have an Abram Isaac experience? I can't explain to you how very real and very vivid that experience was and sobering. Now, before we had Leon, we we were first told that we have a less than 5% chance of falling pregnant naturally. Then we prayed and God gave us, he he made my wife pregnant. Well, I made my wife pregnant, but, you know, God helped. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. And we, we, we fell pregnant, and it was a miracle. It was really a miracle. But then only six weeks in, we, we had a miscarriage, and we were heartbroken. But by God's grace, he, he led us through that with his comforting spirit and and the great people of God around us. And then because I believe because we we just embraced him and not the thing that we thought should have happened and focused on that, we focused on God and had him lead, lead us through it. We were able to once again pray and trust God. And then we had Leon and two more boys in a row. People who were told you have less than 5% chance of having children. Now, this boy is now, God is asking me to give him back to him. And I didn't realize how hard it would be to do that. But I knew God had spoken. And so I prayed one of the hardest prayers of my life. I said, Lord God, I give you my boy. And it was really a deep emotional and spiritual sacrifice. Because what was the point of Abram and Isaac? What comes first? What is your first love? Are you now worshiping the promise? Because God promised us three boys and a girl. I knew this before we even got together, my wife and I. I knew that I would have three boys and a girl. God showed me. So he was the son of promise. But am I worshiping the promise or am I worshiping God? And that was tested 
And it was harder than I could imagine. But the moment I did that, this weight fell off my shoulders. And I slept like a baby after that. We switched off that stupid monitor. Only could hear all the things that measured heart rates and breath rates. And I slept much better. Because I knew that I knew then that first and foremost, he belongs to God. I have a responsibility, but it's a stewardship responsibility of what God had given me. And I'm doing it as a worship unto God to raise my boy. And God didn't have to ask me that again for Simeon, for Reuben, and for Alana. I did it immediately. Gave them back. Said, Lord, this. And then what happened? Because God saw that I put him first, he gave them back to us to raise. I want you to remember that as we go through this. What I experienced is that God wanted me to make sure that he is first in my life. And what I also feel is that I got a tiny glimpse of what his father heart must have gone through when they decided as a trinity that Jesus needs to stand in the gap. God gave his only son for all of us. I can never understand what God the Father felt, obviously, but I felt like I got a hint of what he must have gone through. You'll see today two words quite a lot. Fathers and firstborn sons, or firstborn. These two words come up a lot as we study these scriptures that we're going to look at today. I want you to just take note of that. So when we go back to looking at the Passover and how it was instituted, you you can go and read the whole account, book of Exodus chapters 11 to 13. I'm going to give you the, the highlights. So why was the people of God in a position where it was necessary to have the Passover happen in the first place? Well, when we, when we go back in time a bit, we see that a firstborn son, Joseph, not firstborn of his, wait, thank you, you fell in my trap. Joseph was not the firstborn of his father Isaac, but he was the firstborn of Rachel, his mother Rachel. He opened the womb of Rachel, and that's an important term as well. And he had a special relationship with his father, Isaac. And where were they living? Do you know where they were living at that time? They were living in the promised land. They were living in Canaan. They were already in the promised land. But God knew what was coming. He knew that a famine was going to strike the land. Now this firstborn son was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, imprisoned on false accusations, eventually was released from prison because of the gift of God on his life. The gift made way for him and he became ultimately the second in charge of all of Egypt. The famine 
was revealed in his interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. And it comes, and the dream comes, and among many, Joseph's family was struggling and had a need of food. So God's people in God's promised land was suffering from the same famine. But God had sent a savior ahead to prepare the way for his people. Through Joseph, whom they betrayed, who suffered many trials, they were saved from the famine. But they left Canaan to settle in Egypt. And not what area, the best area. Joseph bargained for the best area for the Israelites to stay in Egypt. And they flourished like bunny rabbits because they flourished and became so many, they became a threat to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were checking this and going, whoa, they're taking over. They were so threatened by this people that the Pharaoh issued a decree to have all firstborn sons killed. He instructed all the midwives to throw every baby that they catch into the river. Moses was saved by the same river that killed all the other firstborns, ironically. Now we'll skip quite a bit and we'll come to the part where God has called Moses back to Egypt to save his people and Moses comes to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. At that time, Israel had been in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years. Do you think in that time that Canaan, the promised land, might have changed? Yes. It took nine plagues, but an arrogant, stiff-necked Pharaoh didn't want to move. But then the tenth and final plague, the death of the firstborn. Not sons, I double-checked. Just firstborn in this case. The death of the firstborn of the beasts and the people. And here, at this moment, the Passover was instituted. The Lord instructed Moses to tell the people that each household must slaughter a lamb without blemish. A lamb without blemish, with no spot or wrinkle. And they are to put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. What you may not know, if you haven't studied this, is that they were instructed and commanded to eat the whole lamb. It specifically states, eat, you must, they must not boil it or cook it, they must roast it. They were instructed to braai. That's why South Africans are also God's special people. This was commanded by Moses. Bry the lamb. Listen to this. They were specifically instructed to eat the head, the legs, and the entrails of this lamb. 
Nice, gross, I know. But I want you to remember this detail when we speak about Jesus. The Lord instructs Moses that he will then pass over those houses with the blood of the unblemished lamb who's, who's on the doorpost and the lintels. And as you probably know, it worked. The Israelites were spared. Their firstborn children were not touched. But Pharaoh's own firstborn was killed. And many others that night. The Bible says not one household of the Egyptians did not have a death. And what happened? Pharaoh sent them away immediately. And they went off to do what? To go where? To the promised land. Where they came from? 430 years ago. God was going to lead them back. But as we know, they took 40 years to walk an 11-day journey. Why? Because they were disobedient. And in the time in the desert, God had to work with them, work with them. And this is the time where he gave them the law. He said, this is how you must live. A stiff-necked, proud people who went around the mountain again and again until a whole generation of people who when they were told this is the promised land didn't believe the two scouts that said it's ready for the taking, God has blessed us. They believed the 10 who were negative. So that whole group had to die out. Now, Moses instructs the people that from the time they enter the promised land, that they must consecrate their firstborn sons to him. And he says that it's because I saved you from the bondage of Egypt by taking the firstborn sons of the Egyptian and the firstborn children. Now when you enter the new land, the promised land, each father must take his boy, his firstborn boy, to the priest and give him to God. But then immediately the scripture says, they were to then immediately buy them back. The one translation say buy them back. The one says ransom them back. And the one says redeem them. When I, when I went to find out how this practically worked, I found that the Jewish tradition that came out of that is that a father would take his firstborn son, put him on a gold platter and present it to the priest. The priest will then take the boy. The father will then take five silver shekels, give it to the priest. If the priest were to accept that, then the son would be redeemed. He would be brought back. Can you see how significant this is? Father, firstborn. They were released from bondage by death of firstborn children. And then the Passover was instituted that they should remember that. But also they were to consecrate their own firstborn to God only to buy them back. Whew. This is so good. 
We see a father. We see a firstborn son. We see a sacrifice. And we see a ransom. Amen. Today, we're focusing on the first part of Jesus' mission. The son of suffering. We're going to read a lot of scripture. But it's so good. I, wanted, I tried to cut this down, but every time I take a phrase out, it's just not the same. So I'm going to share this with you, but I want you, I wanted you to choose to engage with the living word of God. Are you ready? All right, we're going to read. Firstly, we're going to look at the Old Testament prophecy of Jesus by Isaiah. Then we're going to look at a New Testament description of Jesus. And then we're going to take, go to that moment where Jesus had a very important decision to make. We're going to start the journey in Isaiah 53 from verse 1. It says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He's talking about the coming Messiah. He says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his, dead, in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered 
He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The son of suffering. It was God's will to crush him so that we might live. Hebrews 5 from verse 1. This is now a New Testament look after Jesus died, was resurrected, And now this is a letter to the people following him. It says, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and other sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must suffer, sorry, That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become a high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him and God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek now let us jump to the moment in between these two passages where Jesus was in the garden petitioning the father Luke 22 from verse 39 coming out He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. He used to go there often. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you might not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, rescuing him. No. Strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, he who was called Judas, one of the 12, went before them and drew near to to Jesus to kiss him. Isaiah predicted that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, would suffer. Many other prophecies that Jesus had access to read throughout his life on earth also predicted his sufferings. Jesus spent time reading the scriptures. Can you imagine what it must be like? Reading those scriptures and knowing what lies ahead. Imagine what it must have meant to him. I want to read that piece of scripture again. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his, in his hand. After he had suffered, he will see the light of of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus knew what the Father's will was and yet he still petitioned him. He still asked him, Lord, I know what's coming. And this wasn't a fear of what might come like we often fall into. What if this goes wrong? What if that happens? What if this happens? Jesus knew exactly what was coming. And he said, Father, please take this cup of suffering and death from me. Yet, not my will be done, but your will be done. The high priest had to first sacrifice an offering for his own sins and then for the people. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He had no sin. He couldn't offer an offering for his own sin, but he needed to sacrifice his own will. And that was his sacrifice for himself. And then he was the sacrifice for the sins of all people of all time. Even though Jesus, I'm going to read this again. Even though Jesus was the son, was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation. 
without reading all of the scriptures of all of the gospels about Jesus' passion walk, I want to just highlight some of the ways and some of the things that Jesus suffered. What did he suffer? Jesus suffered through his ministry. He suffered being scoffed at, ridiculed, disrespected, verbal attacks, false accusations, and a few attempts to kill him. He suffered agonizing stress about what was lying ahead for him. He did not fear what was going to happen. He feared something that he knew will happen. He suffered a moment that we may have felt in our own lives many times. He suffered a moment where God did not answer his prayer the way he wanted it to be answered. He suffered being let down by his disciples who couldn't stay awake to pray with him. He suffered the frustration of his disciples still not getting what it was about when it happened and, when it, and what needs to take place. They still wanted to try and save him, cut off the ear of a God. This is not the way it's gonna happen. And Jesus is like, this is exactly the way it has to happen. He suffered being betrayed by a kiss by Judas, someone he discipled for three years. He suffered being arrested in one of his favorite places of prayer in front of those he loves. He suffered being dragged around in chains, placed before courts of human authority, humans that he created. He suffered bullying. He suffered verbal and physical abuse. He was slapped. His beard was pulled out. He suffered the pain of a crown of thorns forced upon his scalp. When we were in Israel, they explained to us the crown of thorns is not what we think it is. It's not a wreath that goes around. It's more like a helmet of thorns that is pushed into the whole scalp on the head. He suffered being beaten mercilessly with rods. And some of the blows hit the thorns on his head and went deeper into his head. And he was bleeding profusely. He suffered 39 lashes of Roman flogging. I want to read you an excerpt written by a medical doctor of what Jesus must have gone through based on what the flogging utensils were. If you are a sensitive hearer, you might want to close your eyes and your ears. Not, not your eyes, it's fine. What happened with the Roman flogging? The Romans first stripped the victim, tied his hands to a post above his head. The whip, called the flagellum, was made of several pieces of leather with pieces of bone and lead embedded in the ends. Two men, one on each side of the victim, did the flogging. The Jews mercifully limited flogging to a maximum of 40 stripes, less one. The Romans had no such limitation. The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. Then, as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues 
producing first and oozing blood from the capillaries and veins in the skin. And finally, spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons. And the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. The Bible says that Jesus was so beaten that he was unrecognizable as a human. They stripped him naked. He did not wear a cloth as we see in the movies. He was completely naked, completely broken, physically. He suffered carrying his cross on top of this ripped flesh. Then he suffered crucifixion, massive nails driven through his arms, his hands, his palms of his hands, through the palms and his feet, hoisted up, feeling that pain surge through his body as he cannot hold himself up and he starts suffocating. That's actually how you die on a cross, is through suffocation. He suffered the feeling of being forsaken by his Father in heaven. And he suffered death. He was the son of suffering. Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. He was the firstborn from the dead. Why are we talking about his suffering today? Because we are remembering and celebrating his suffering and his crucifixion, which was the whole reason why he came. But another important reason we're talking about his suffering is because it is something that we need to learn from and take notes on because the Christian life is actually a life where suffering is promised. If you were sold a different gospel, then I want to apologize. But a Christian life is not a cozy, comfortable, convenient, I've got everything together life. If you don't believe me, let me read this to you again. Romans 8 from verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He is our Father. Jesus was His firstborn. From that firstborn, through Him, we are part of His children. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now you have to ask yourself in that moment, what did Jesus inherit? Because you are a joint heir of what he inherited. More about that on Sunday. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. No glory without suffering. This is a biblical principle. Our sonship in the Father is established through Jesus, by grace, through faith, in the son of suffering, and our sonship is characterized by suffering with him. Did you hear that? 
our sonship, our, the fact that we are a child of God is characterized by suffering with him. Now, you might be asking, shucks, what does that mean? What does this suffering look like? Because how many of you get excited about the idea of suffering? We don't, right? It's hard for us. Because the suffering is normally happening to our flesh and our soul, our emotions. That's where we feel the suffering. But if your spirit is truly free in Christ and communing with the Father, then your, your body and your soul should so be separated from that or so in line with that, better way to say it, should so be in line with that, that you can go through whatever you have to go through in this life and you don't lose faith, you don't lose hope, you don't lose your eyes on Jesus. Does that make sense? So what does suffering mean? There's different forms of it. The main one for a Christian who has just come to salvation is you die to self. There's a form of suffering in that. I have to let my will go. I have to take what I want and give it away. I have to suffer loss of who I thought I was. That's suffering. And it sucks. Your flesh doesn't like it. Amen? What else do we suffer? This is going to sound weird, but we suffer the consequence of salvation. When you are saved, born again, raised with Christ, suddenly there's, you are mocked in the spiritual realm. You have his joy, you have his peace. But you suddenly you're aware of the spiritual war that's been raging the whole time. But now you're aware because your spirit is alive. And there's a form of suffering in that. You start seeing the world in a different way. You start looking at unbelievers and your heart breaks for them. You understand what I'm saying? You suffer also rejection from the world. We are a peculiar people. We are supposed to be weird to people that are not believers. They should look at you and the choices you make and the things you do and the things you don't do and they should go, you're weird, dude. And you should go, yes, it's working. But there's a suffering in that. Why? Because if your flesh hasn't died completely because of your salvation, your flesh is going to want the praises and the affirmation of people. Let me ask you this, because I ask this for myself often. Why do I care what people who are blind think of me? I should not care at all. I should only care about their salvation. And I should care about introducing them to my Jesus. Amen? How else do we suffer? If you are really sold out for Jesus and following him with everything that you have, you will be persecuted for believing in him. There will be a form of persecution on your life. Some of us must be careful to not take every form of what we deem to be suffering and say, I'm persecuted. 
Not all of it's persecution. Make sure you know what you are doing is in line with God's will. And when that offends worldly people or it ruffles feathers of religious people, then there's a form of persecution. Then, you know, keep going. (laughs) You might be persecuted for proclaiming Jesus. And you might suffer attacks from the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour who came to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy will now be aware of you and he might come and attack you and those attacks can feel like suffering. Understand? I wanna share quite a few scriptures with you about Christian suffering. Because Jesus is our example in every way. And these scriptures, even though they might feel difficult for you in your flesh to hear today, and maybe no one has ever read these to you in a church, and you're like, where did these scriptures come from? There's a reason that people kind of ignore these, because it's not lacquer to read. But they are in the Bible, and there's many of them. And I'm not even giving you all of them today. So this is why we have to ask ourselves this question every day. If I call myself a Christian, a little Christ, a follower of the way of Jesus Christ, do I really believe that the word of God is the word of God? And will I allow the seed of the word of God to take root in my life and obey it and act upon it? That's the question. And even in reading this and hearing this, you might suffer a bit. Let's go through them. Acts 5 from verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. What happened here was that people, the disciples were preaching the gospel. They got into trouble with the Jewish leaders. They were pulled into this place and they tried to stop them to preach the name of Jesus. Then someone convinced them to just let them do their thing because if it doesn't mean anything, it will go nowhere. That's what they were talking about. And now they order them back and they beat them with rods and say, don't preach the gospel. Okay, do you have the scene? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They got excited about being beaten for believing in Jesus. They got excited about it. They felt, wow, I was counted worthy to suffer with my Jesus, for my Jesus. How many of us in this comfy Somerset West church world really has that mindset? Acts 9 from verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This is the moment where Paul became saved. He had an encounter with Jesus and his life changed. And God was working through Ananias to go to him. He said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Those guys got excited earlier in Acts for being beaten for his name. God is promising Ananias that Paul will suffer for his name. 2 Corinthians 1 from verse 5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comforts abound through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. 1 Peter 2 from verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Couldn't be clearer. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He's quoting Isaiah 53. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So what should we do when we endure hardships and suffering for Christ, for the kingdom? God, the Father, is the judge, and he is my vengeance. 1 Peter 3 from verse 13. Peter really talked about the suffering thing a lot. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. If you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring you to God, to bring you to God. That is why he suffered. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Do not be surprised. As though something strange were happening to you. Something strange in your neighborhood. He's saying, don't be surprised when something strange happens, when this happens to you as if it's a strange thing. What's he saying? You should expect to suffer. You should not expect to not suffer because then you will be disappointed. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of 
Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. David so skinner and moeilijkheid veroorzaak en hulle vingers en mense se slaaie druk. However, so he's saying, suffering that comes from your bad decisions and sin, I'm not talking about that. I am, however, talking about if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. It's the third time that's coming up. Matthew 5 from verse 11, something we read together recently. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, says Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, for in the same way they prosecuted the prophets who were before you. And finally, Matthew 10, verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The reality of suffering in this life, keep, keep at it. There's a reward. Suffering, reward. Glory is coming. What is the conclusion to all of this? We find a great summary of what I'm trying to say. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 to 11 and 16 to 18. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure of Christ in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death for, to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Say, do not lose heart. With passion, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, our light and momentary troubles, is giving us some perspective, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Turn to someone and say, eternal, eternal. Why are we talking about this today? Because God is calling us to fix our eyes on what is eternal. When we truly fix our eyes on what is eternal, we can endure the sufferings we will experience as children of God in this life because of the momentary circumstances and challenges, challenges that are fleeting while the promise of eternity is growing inside of us and we are working towards it. And that promise, that glory is much greater than our temporary afflictions. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.